Welcome to the Excel Still More podcast. I am your host, Chris Emerson. I'm here to encourage you in your walk with God. Thank you for joining in. Today's podcast is sponsored by a wonderful company, Creation to Revelation. This group of Christians believe it is extremely important that we teach the Word of God to our kids. They have original graphic illustrations from the beginning of the Bible to the end, featuring the beautiful and consistent presence of Jesus throughout. You can explore all of that at creationtorevelation.com. I am so thankful you're here, so let's get started. Welcome back, and thanks for joining in today. You can tell from the title there is one specific word that will get a lot of our attention today, the Bible word fellowship. What does that word mean, and what does it look like among believers today? There are a couple of reasons why I'm sharing this with you today. First of all, I'll tell you a little bit about my church history, and I have had some personal confusion over the word fellowship, or its really cool Greek origin term, koinonia, and some of that has only recently found resolution, so I thought maybe the same could be true for you, depending on your background and the church with which you worship. I also believe that we are in a dangerous time among God's people, where we could potentially and inadvertently produce a generation of young people who would become adults and start families of their own who do not value Christian fellowship the way that they should. When we talk about fellowship, by the way, we're talking about our shared relationship in Jesus. Communion, commonality, joint participation, And even before the pandemic, I was hearing some of our young people, when they would go off to college or start their careers, talk about the importance of being spiritual in the world, of being a good person, of speaking the name of Jesus to lost people, all of which is tremendous. But some of them spoke of it as if it's more important to be spiritual in the world than to be a part of, quote, organized religion. Maybe there were some who looked at things like going to church on Sundays and sitting in a room and singing and partaking, or spending time with brethren in their homes or in their lives is kind of antiquated. It's too in the box. And I've had these concerns that people would drift away from local church participation, fellowship, and replace it with more of a be godly in the world, listen to a few sermons at home way of thinking. Well, then came the worldwide coronavirus pandemic. And for months, churches were shut down. People were still in fellowship in Christ, but they were not manifesting that in the traditional way of seeing each other, worshiping together, sharing each other's rejoicings and sorrows, everyone just stayed home. They consumed worship material the best they could via online, but that beautiful tradition of physical assembly was missing. And then, as it began, or is beginning, to come back, there was this long period of great caution. There were built-in excuses and I don't necessarily mean that negatively, just built-in reasonings for not getting back with God's people. 
And while here in East Texas, most of that has gone back to, quote, normal, we are definitely seeing signs of people who now consider their relationship with God to be more out there and less with us. And that is problematic because it misses this beautiful word called fellowship and what it is on a spiritual level and then the way it is manifested and has always been manifested as a community of believers. So I have a couple of things to do here in the next 10 or 15 minutes. I want to define the term. I need to tell you a bit about my history and previous confusion. And hopefully we can get all of those great spiritual minds out there to continue to shine for Christ, but also crave joint participation experienced in real-life interaction with Christians as often as possible. All right, so here's a little bit about my history. I was raised in Churches of Christ my whole life, but for the first 12 years or so, we attended very large churches. I'm not big on labels at all, but I would say they would consider themselves institutional, if that rings a bell, or maybe just mainstream. And I was young, so I'm not saying it was taught this way, but my impression was that fellowship was very much tied to social interaction. Fellowship was dining together in the fellowship hall. Fellowship was holding hands around the campfire. One time, fellowship was an overnight church-building, pizza-party, comedy-movie marathon. In other words, we were really taught to see fellowship as enjoying God's people. The church took that so literally that they funded a lot of those things, and that was all that I really knew. Well, I was maybe 12 or 13 years old when my parents made a huge change. We left a massive church, Coke machines, donuts every Bible class, basketball team, gymnasium, the whole deal. And we went to a church building that was much, much smaller. Probably you would use terms like non-institutional or conservative. And I do not want to represent what was preached there. I was a teenager and I didn't always listen well. But the impression that I came away with was that fellowship was not those social things. It was spiritual, 1 John 1. It was invisible. It is eternal. It is a shared relationship that exists between believers in Christ. So in my mind, coming from one place to another, I started to think it could not at all be the first thing because it is entirely the second thing, a spiritual, really non-tangible, ever-existing joint participation. And again, I'm not saying it was taught exactly that way, but I'll tell you, even into my early 30s, if a group of guys from church were going to breakfast and one of them said, I've really enjoyed this fellowship we've had together, I would feel kind of weird about it, like he was associating a spiritual concept with a physical breakfast. So anyway, as you can tell, very confused ideas on koinonia. The only thing I knew for sure in preaching is that I really loved saying that word. You should do that right now wherever you are, koinonia. But you know, if you really are looking for clarity, what you and I have to do is just open the word and read it. Try the best we can to drop all preconceived ideas, all us or them concepts, and just see what Christians did. In that way, I feel very comfortable starting with this. Fellowship is 
a spiritual connection in Christ. It is not physical or limited by nature in its core existence. 1 John 1 talks about how we have fellowship with the apostles, even though they don't live on earth anymore. We have fellowship with Jesus, even though he is in heaven. We have fellowship with one another, even though you and I aren't anywhere near each other at the moment. It is a spiritual, internal, invisible thing that exists beyond the eye. But even then, to get back to some of what I want you to see today, it is still something we share with one another. We are connected. We are one. Any decision I make to pursue spirituality that says, I need to get away from brethren, or I don't need to be near them in order to experience this, is missing the point. But someone might say, Chris, you just said it's not physical, it's not about literal interaction, it's higher and greater than all of that. That's true. But you know what else is kind of like that? Faith. Faith is not physical. Faith is not works. Faith is trust in God. Faith is allegiance to God. It is spiritual. It is invisible. It is eternal. It has connections that go beyond where we live. But we also know that faith must be demonstrated. The proof of its existence is in the physical, tangible, real choices that we make. Does that make sense? James chapter 2, I will show you my faith by my works. It's not that the two are the exact same thing, but faith is a dynamic trust in God that seeks to show it, to influence people by it. And that is not invisible. That is observable and real. And without those things, the faith is dead. Can I suggest that to you about fellowship today? That you and I can say, we love each other and we share this communion in Christ, and we're covered by the blood of Jesus, and we're one. We use terms like unity. But if it's not represented in a way that the Christians who are alive today can see, does it really exist? And if we kind of relegate it to this unseen internal thing, would it not give rise to this modern thinking of, well, I'm just going to go out and be spiritual, but this organized religion business, that's not necessary. To me, right now, that's like saying, as long as I have faith, the works that I do among God's people don't matter. So this leads us back to Acts chapter 2, when the church first began, when their fellowship in Christ and with one another originally started. I believe I know what it is. It is being united in the blood of Jesus, receiving the gift of the Holy Spirit, and sharing in the spiritual body that God has added us to. But what I'm asking is, what does it do or produce or devote itself to to prove its existence? Now look, this is a sermon I've tried to get away from that, by the way. Almost all year, I've tried to separate the sermons that are preached at the Lindale Church from the podcasts that are presented. I had a couple of friends tell me last year, you know, I listen to your Sunday sermons, and then I wake up Monday morning, and I'm like, eh, I've heard that already. 
I would defend myself a little bit and argue that those sermons are super long and we do a lot of scriptural work, and that is worship. Here, we try to put things in a little tighter package and focus on application, but I did take it to heart and tried to separate the two. Well, this week, for me right now, it's Friday before launch day for the podcast on Monday, and in between there on Sunday night, I am preaching on Acts 2 at the Lindell Church. So if you want to get into the text and study the passages with me, you can certainly look that up. It's on Church Fundamentals. We did a three-part series from Acts chapters 1 and 2, and it's part 3. Now here's where you get a benefit for being here today. That's going to take me like a half an hour to lay out the three things found in Acts chapter 2, and you're about to get it in five minutes. Number one, because we have fellowship, we worship together. The first thing that Christians did is devote themselves to the teaching of the word, to the breaking of bread, the Lord's Supper, to sharing in their relationship in Jesus, and to praying together. Yearning for worship, prioritizing worship, participating in worship, this is fellowship made alive. And I would argue that to the extent that we try to leave collective, in-person, encouraging worship out. I mean, if you have the opportunity to do it, but it isn't any longer important to you, it is very hard to argue that you understand the koinonia of Christianity. Christians had something they shared that manifested itself in worship. If you're struggling to get back to worship, I promise you that when you get there, you will find the things that you need and you will be sharing the things that others need. But in the meantime, just know this. If fellowship with believers is important to you, prove it. We would love to see the evidence of that because it's going to mean the world to your fellow brothers and sisters. All right, so the second thing in the text was sharing their goods with those who had need. The book of Acts is filled with cases where people sold their property and gave to brethren who had need. There were Christians staying a long time in Jerusalem. They hadn't planned that. They had needs. They were hungry. They needed a place to stay. Christians were hospitable. They were givers. They were sacrificing their own savings just so others could have what they needed. It's great to talk about charity to the world, to talk about helping the community. All of that is great. But we are not in fellowship yet with those people. We are in fellowship with our Christian family. So there ought to be in every one of us this desire to know the needs of brethren and meet them. Meet them with passion. Meet them with so much drive that you would consider your fellowship with them to be hollow until you fill it with the substance of giving. Because while giving to help needy saints may not be fellowship by definition, it is the works that fellowship produce in the same way as faith. And works. So look around among brethren. They don't have to be local. We're not bound like that. They can live in another country, another state. If you know Christians who are hurting and God has positioned you to help them, we share Jesus in this joint community and we share the giving, compassionate character of Jesus with one another. Like James said, not just in word, but in deeds. And he even used the example of a brother in need. 
Okay, and then lastly, you cannot overlook the fact that social interaction was a part of all of this. In Acts chapter 2, they not only worshipped and gave, but they also ate together a lot. They were going from house to house, they were sharing their stories with one another, they were weeping with those who weeped and rejoicing with those who rejoiced because they were dining together, they were showing hospitality for one another, they were becoming friends. And while I'm not an advocate for churches to take on their role and finances to make all of that happen, I am certainly not an advocate for saying that your fellowship with believers is limited only to the worship hour and money that comes out of your pocket, and it is unimportant for you to devote time to knowing them, to loving them, to feeding them, and to building real connections in our spiritual walk. That has been taken from us for the last 18 months. But things like open homes, potlucks, days at the park, the young people getting together, we need all of that. Please don't quote me somewhere saying, Chris said that fellowship in the Bible is a play day at the park. The works are not the same as the faith, but they are the things that naturally grow out of the faith. Meals together, Time together, sharing and learning and loving together grow out of who we have become in Jesus. You and I ought to yearn for those things. We ought to prioritize those things. Churches that I visit all over the country who are fervent in their growth and love have great worship services, and there's not a needy one among them, but there's more. They love to spend time together, to spend it, to use it, to invest it. So listen, fellowship is awesome. It is invisible. It is spiritual. It is eternal. And it is in Christ. But it is the way that it demonstrates itself that sets us apart from this world. Our worship activities together, the servicing of needs for one another, and the cultivating of great friendships through ongoing, joyful social interactions. Is it any wonder at the end of Acts 2, offering Jesus and salvation to everyone and this kind of a community, is it any wonder that the church was growing, that people rejoiced in being a part of something so special, spiritual, and physical? You see, to me, there's no distinction between being spiritual and religious. There is simply being a part of something eternal and living it, proving it, growing in it in real time with real people. So if you want to see good things happen in the church and great joy among believers, let's talk fellowship. Thank you so much for joining in today. If you enjoyed this program, consider sharing it with your family and your friends. As always, you can go to excelstillmore.life to sign up for the email, order the three-month journal, or just catch up on old episodes. And also, if you are looking for financial advice or future planning, give John Cunningham a call today, 205-913-1720. And remember this, whatever you choose to do today, in the name of the Lord Jesus, excel still more.